I think it's good in interviewing for a new job that the job should scare you and that it should push you into a place that you have not gone. I think if you're looking for the same but different, it's ultimately not going to be rewarding and it's not going to move you forward. I'm Carly Zakin. I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. This podcast is where we go deep on career advice from women who have lived it. From the good stuff like hiring and growing a team to the rough stuff like negotiating your salary and giving or getting hard feedback. We started the skim from a couch, so what better place to talk it all out than where it began on a couch? So please welcome Erica Nardini to the couch. Erica is an expert at marketing and growing brands. Over the course of her career, she's been a leader at major companies like Microsoft, Yahoo, and AOL. But in 2016, she decided to take on a new role. She became the CEO at a small but mighty sports blog you might have heard of, Barstool Sports. That's a role with a story behind it, and we're going to let Erica tell it. In the meantime, Erica, welcome to the couch. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. I'm excited to be here. We are very excited to chat with you. So before we kind of dive into to everything, want to start simple. Skim your resume for us. Okay, great. I love the skim your resume. So I started my career. I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. I started my career at Fidelity Investments. I worked in the legal department, hated it, um, wanted to work in advertising, and talked to the HR people at Fidelity, and they were like, that's the worst decision ever. You're, you know, you're a moron. Um, but I did it. I took a huge pay cut, went to work in the advertising department at Fidelity, which you know was mostly run by women. It was very exciting, and the internet was just starting. And so because I was young and interested in the internet and no one was really paying attention, I got a huge amount of opportunity to be a part of something very big as the internet was growing. I then went and worked at a whole bunch of ad agencies in Boston. So I lived in Boston at the time which led me to working for Microsoft. So I went to work for Microsoft to build you know, their global branded entertainment group in 2001. I lived abroad, so I lived in London. I worked out of Tokyo. I traveled all around the world, um, basically connecting brands and technology with audiences. I then was part of a startup launch called Modelinia, which was a new view on the fashion space, an internet company. From there, I went to Yahoo, so back to a big company. Um, and what I really saw was, you know, that was at the height of the portal era, whereby consumers were navigating the internet from big centralized places like Microsoft or Yahoo. Um, from there, I went to Demand Media to be part of their IPO. And what I really saw at that point in time was that the internet was changing from being centralized and controlled to being search-driven, whereby anyone can find anything they want at any point in time, and being part of a company that understood how to make content for that distribution and to monetize it was super interesting. Um, from there, I went to AOL to be the CMO of AOL. Uh, and then I launched a startup called Backstage, which was a direct-to-consumer platform which connected music artists and their fans. So my career really has spanned portal era, a search era, and a social era, which really led me to Barstool Sports, where I've been the CEO for the last three years. It's a shame you haven't done much. I know. Yeah, <laughs> it's just seriously wasted potential. <laughs> so for those who are not familiar with Barstool, yeah. one line, what is it? Oh, Barstool is one of the funniest, most disruptive media lifestyle brands out there. 
How did you become familiar with Barstool? I lived in Boston when Dave Portnoy, the founder, created it. So I remember being, I lived with a bunch of women. I We, we would, you know, we worked hard, we played very hard, and I would get on to the train station in the morning and there would be, you could choose from getting the metro from basically like next, like a homeless person, or you could get Barstool Sports. And... Dave and, you know, a handful of people handed out Barstool at the T-stops that I went to. So I knew it from the beginning. Um, I was there in Boston when he created it. It was also, Barstool was always the way guys that I knew talked. So it was the type of humor they were interested in. It was about Boston sports. It was about life in Boston. Um, When I was building Backstage, uh, it was during the deflate gate, so the controversy with Tom Brady and the NFL. And... I modeled a lot of what I built at Backstage for big music artists on Barstool because you would read something on Barstool and if you were a Patriots fan or a Celtics fan or you know, Chicago Bears fan, didn't matter. If you were a fan, you would read something and then there would be a commerce experience right at the bottom of it. So in this case, like I, I remember a, a Saturday morning, I was reading a blog of Dave's and at the bottom was it was a, was an ad for free Brady t-shirts. And I bought five. And I didn't feel like anyone was selling to me or I was being manipulated. I really just wanted the free Brady t-shirts because I thought they were cool and I felt something from reading the blog. And so I've always loved Barstool. Um, I think that Dave is brilliant and incredibly disruptive and very true to himself and his voice and who he is. And he's held that steady for 15 years, which is incredible. Like, it's just unheard of. Um, so when the chance came, you know, when I knew they were looking for someone, I I wanted this job very badly because the chance to work with a brand that knew who it, who it was with a huge amount of upside and potential, needing the type of things I knew how to do, was it was awesome when you talk about that barstool sounded like people that you knew in your Mm -hmm. life it reminded you of you know being out in boston Mm -hmm. barstool is known for leaning into and representing a fratty image and there's the fun part of that and then there's also the negative connotations with that how did you think through that when you when this actually became a reality of like i might go run this company sure yeah people had a lot of reactions people were like what are you doing um which i've talked a lot about people thought i was you know having career suicide, which by virtue of my LinkedIn, I might be. But um, (laughs) Also, just to jump in for people that aren't as familiar with Barstool, when we talk about the other side of that, Barstool and its founder, Dave Portnoy, El Prez, Mm -hmm. um, has racked up a lot of controversy, particularly over the way it portrays women. So that's what we're referring to when we talk about this. So I would say a couple of things about Barstool, which is one is... Dave and everyone at Barstool, when I got to Barstool, there's probably 15 bloggers, were always very unafraid and they were not a big company. They were an underground, disruptive alt publication, really. So they didn't censor themselves. They've never thought about being PC. They, you know, they made jokes. Sometimes the jokes landed. Sometimes the jokes really didn't land. Um, They never really backed down from what they said. So you know, over the course of time, they've had, you know, they've made comments or written blogs or, you know, had quips on on various shows that I think in 2019 or 2017 or 2016, at least in my tenure, they wouldn't make again. Um, not because of me, but I also I think the world has changed really dramatically from 2009 to 2016. Um, I don't think we're fratty. I can understand why people think we look fratty. You know, 
by and large, the majority of our company is a white, a young white guy, which in and of itself has a connotation of being fratty. But if you look at the women we have brought to Barstool, you look at the brands that we're launching inside of Barstool, you look at the type of talent that we're nurturing, it's really anything but fratty. It is it is still unapologetically true though to that knowing its audience, which by and large are guys. And increasingly we're attracting female audiences and different types of audiences and covering different types of topics, you know, the military, politics, business, entertainment, sex and relationships, et cetera. Um, at our core though, we want to be funny and compelling and authentic. And I think that's what guides us to to ultimately where we think we can go. And it's ultimately why we've been very successful. I think there's a lot of people who don't like Barstool. There's a lot of people who think Barstool's not for them. There's a lot of people who are easily offended by Barstool. I don't think we're as controversial as people say we are, but it's very convenient to say that Barstool is controversial, mostly because we're very disruptive and we're somewhat threatening in, in our growth and the amount of time we're taking, the amount of tension we have for the audience we want. You are a very successful female businesswoman. There are unfortunately not that many people at your level of success. And I think that is changing and will change, but it's why you are considered a trailblazer and someone that we look up to. Did you have a moment, you know, when we talk about the rise of the Me Too movement and we talk about Time's Up, did you have a moment where you were like, wow, I didn't, maybe I didn't realize that some of this behavior really is wrong, or maybe I didn't realize how this could come off, or maybe I didn't realize that you know, part of the what we're putting out in the world could be part of the problem. Did you ever have a personal moment sort of thinking that through as a woman, as a businesswoman? It's, I mean, you guys are equally as successful and I, I love what you've built with the skim. I read it every day. I think it's awesome. Um, Thank you. No, I, Barstool is the least sexist, least misogynistic place I have ever worked. Like I have worked at a lot of places where most things happen behind closed doors. And I think for women who are trying to trailblaze for themselves, regardless of what that means, like getting your first job or getting the job or a big job, like insidiousness and closed doors and things that are unspoken, I think are the most dangerous places for anyone who's trying to break into a, a club that is closed. Um, so no, I really stand by the culture and the integrity of our culture as a company. I think the Me Too movement and Time's Up and just women's empowerment is really important. We are not a brand that is promoting any agenda, whether it's female empowerment, male empowerment, this, that, or the other thing. We're a comedy brand dressed up as a sports site. So you know, I don't think we are part of the problem and I really stand by, I think the people I work with are some of the finest people I have worked with in my career. What I can control is the type of company that we have and the type of culture we have and the way that we manage problems and we, the way we resolve, we resolve them or in the way we treat our employees and find new employees. And so I'm really proud of that. And I think, you know, if you look at Barstool, we're probably the one of the only companies in media that has a female CEO, a female CRO, a female CFO, a female head of production. Like we have hired incredible women, not because they're women, but because they're incredibly talented, hungry, badass people 
who are going to take our company to the next level. So when I look at the places that criticize us, which are predominantly traditional media companies, and then I look at their roster and I'm like, where are the women? When you decided to take the role, did you think it was going to be controversial? I think I underestimated the controversy. It's interesting because you beat out over 70 male candidates to get the job. And normally that would be something, you know, without putting the brand into it, it would be like this amazing moment that you would think would be celebrated. And you got a lot of flack. Mm -hmm. We've read that you lost board seats because Mm -hmm. of it. And I'm sure friendships, both Mm -hmm. personal and professional. How did that affect you? I've loved my Barstool experience. It has come at a cost, certainly. Um, It was unexpected. It was, uh, you know, it was the best deviation from a path that I had ever been on. I was a CMO for a big company. I was the president of a very interesting startup. But this is, I feel so certain that this is my place. And I'm I'm so glad I made it here. Um, So it's been, you know, any nicks and bruises and it are worth it. So Father's Day is coming up, but we are in kind of an awkward position this year because we're going to be on the middle of the How to Skim Your Life book tour, which our dads are excited about, but also means that um, we won't be around on Father's Day. So we need to make sure we get good gifts in advance. So... I think that we're both going to do the same gift this year. Surprise, Tads. Hope you're listening. Uh, we are getting Framebridge. Well, I'm going to frame pictures of just my face really up close. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't uh, know if that's the best gift, but okay. <laughs> but uh, Framebridge is an easy and affordable way to custom frame your favorite things um, from prints and posters to the photos on your phone or just an up-close selfie if you're me. Uh, just go to framebridge.com and upload your photo. Uh, You can order a custom gift for any dad in your life in minutes. Just go to framebridge.com and use promo code SKIM to save an additional 15% off your first order. Again, that's just framebridge.com, promo code SKIM. I want to switch gears and talk about you as a leader Mm -hmm. um, in a few different ways. One is I'm fascinated by the idea of someone becoming a CEO at a founder-led company Mm -hmm. and a company that has such a strong founder vision and also a founder, B.L. Prez, who has a very controversial image. Mm -hmm. How did you approach that to get buy-in from the team and level set that you are the CEO and while Dave might be the founder, like you were put in charge? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, mean, I'm like talking to to the ultimate female founders, but... The thing I loved about Dave Portnoy and Dan Katz and Keith Markovich and Kevin Clancy and you know John Feidelberg, all of the original guys, was that they knew what they knew and they were very proud of it. They're fiercely protective of it, but they were also very honest and open about what they did not know. And I think if it if Barstool didn't have that type of environment, I would not have succeeded, nor would anyone have have succeeded. So I think it's hard to, it's intimidating to come into a company that is built and so is so intrinsically tied to, in your case, two people, or in our case, you know, one person and, and very big personalities. What I loved about Dave was that we saw the world the same way. We saw the potential of commerce. We saw the idea of a very disruptive sports media brand or media brand. Um, And I worked exceptionally hard. You know, that first year I worked incessantly, mostly to earn their trust and 
I wanted to be in it together. So when we won, we won together. And when we tripped and failed, it was together. Um, and I also wanted to protect them because I think there will never be another barstool sports. The worst thing I could do would be to change that. That's the key to working with a founder, especially a creative founder. And it, it couldn't have happened if he wasn't so involved or Dave wasn't so involved or any of our core talent wasn't involved. And it couldn't happen if I hadn't brought my side of it too. What is it like to come in as a leadership in a leadership position where you are making business and product decisions every day for a target demo that you are not that target? Mm -hmm. I, I'm obsessed with our product. Um, and while I do not fit the prototype of our audience in any way, shape, or form, I spend hours with our teams, our audiences, our fans. I, I feel that I've been able to really understand the motivation. Now, I'm not making the creative call. I don't want to be making a creative call. I absolutely should not be making a creative call because ultimately I'm not the personality and I'm not the audience. But I think someone, you know, one is I think you have to be a really good listener and you have to be thoughtful in the recommendations you create. You also have to not have a lot of control. So we tend to make a lot of things all the time. Some land, some don't land. And that experimentation is is also part of how we've been able to do it. So I feel like my job is to create the environment that lets creative people talk to their fans and to enhance the products on which they do it by looking at the data of what happened, what didn't happen, what worked, what didn't work. Um, so that's how I would look at it. One sentence, what did, how would you describe the company culture? It's very alive. It's just yeah. a very alive company. Like you come into yeah. your office, which is gorgeous. Like I'm so impressed by it. And it's clean and it's pretty and it's quiet. And we have a romper room mm -hmm. of, you know, we just moved offices a week and a half ago. We had 150 people in 12,000 square feet, which just, to, it, it's like cramming a high school into one room. Mm -hmm. We had two studios and we do 15 hours of radio, podcasts, live content every day. And we're on top of one another. So it's loud, it's noisy, it's chaotic, it's extremely creative, but it is just very alive. We tried that. Our HR person told us we had to move when we were taking conference calls from the bathroom. Yes, totally. Groups. So, yep. yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Uh, we that like was a violation. Let's take a quick break to talk about our book, How to Skim Your Life. It is all about some of the most important parts of being an adult. Think wine pairings, your finances, your career, big purchases like cars, houses, apartments, and more. It is the kind of book you're going to want to have on your coffee table so you can keep coming back to it. What are you waiting for? Now's the time. Get to it. Theskim.com slash book. That's theskim.com slash book. Go order How to Skim Your Life today. We, I want to talk a little bit about you as a manager. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about company culture and scaling it, when you came on, Barstool was about 12 people. Yeah, it was, it was somewhat unknown. There were 12 people slated to come to New York. So when Dave took investment from the Charon Group, he, he, he wanted to move Barstool to New York and go for the moon. Um, 
And the funny thing about Barstool at the time was there was a big network of people who quote unquote worked for Barstool. And I couldn't, when I got there, there wasn't a PL, there wasn't an email system. They didn't use Slack. They did, it still kind of struggle with Slack. But um, so it was hard to tell who who works for Barstool and what exactly do you do? That's yeah. a very funny first day problem. <laughs> I mean, it's a crazy first day problem. Like we didn't have an office. Mm-hmm. We had people who they blogged every 30 minutes and but didn't really talk to one another. They didn't have any system to talk to one another. You know, Dave, until, you know, fairly recent history back then paid them in personal checks. Like it was it it was an underground yeah. alt brand. So how do you keep some of that? Obviously, mm-hmm. balance putting processes in place, mm-hmm. like making sure they can talk to each other. Yeah. While also scaling and not having the founder write personal checks. Totally. But so keeping that personal checks are DNA. Yeah. yeah. The DNA is super important. Um, Want to have a lot of respect for them. You know, I always came into it with a ton of respect that they they had gotten this thing to be so big with with hardly anything, with only their brains and their you know computers. And I sought to build process around that, but that it was a process built for Barstool. Um, I knew fairly quickly coming into Barstool that a traditional process was not going to work, that an HR person saying no calls in the bathroom just was never, ever, ever going to fly. Um, I also felt I could make their jobs easier. I could make them more famous. I could um, I could make things less have less friction. We could create communication. We could be durable and repeatable in the things that we did every day. I could create security you know, really very honestly look at what we had and then to build things that were made for for it and to not be married to any particular decision if over time it didn't work. And that's really the only way, you know, we've grown from, let's call it, you know, under 20 people in 2016 to 160 people in 2019. We have gone from three podcasts to 30 podcasts. Like we have just we have just grown so exponentially that not being rigid on on anything has been really important because if we were rigid, we would still be doing things the way we did them in 20, 2016 or 2017 or 2018. And that just doesn't make any sense. You became a manager at age 23. Mm-hmm. What were you like as a manager then and how are you as a manager now? Probably pretty similar. Um, I love to work. Like I love to work. I love working with teams. I loved playing sports. You know, like I love a locker room, which is maybe why I love barstool sports. Like I, I love a locker room. I think being with another group of people and going after winning something is the best. Um, so I've always wanted to work as part of a team, and I I have a I love a team. Uh, I'm very blunt. I am extremely impatient. Uh, I was extremely impatient when I was 23. Um, I'm very hungry to learn. And I, I just don't believe that because someone something is told to you that this is how it should be, that that's really how it should be. Like, I, I just don't like that. Um, I loved my team and I was hard on them. What does winning look like for you now? It's a really good question. I don't, I, I think winning is being fulfilled at at what we're creating. Like, I don't know exactly where this thing goes. I think anyone who tells you that they know where your company goes is just lying and 
Nobody knows. And it's we respond weird. with like, oh, so they have the playbook approach. Yeah, that's and like right. automatically. Yeah, you're like, whatever. Yeah. Um, so I don't know where Barstool goes. I think we can be bigger and stronger and funnier and enter new, you know, enter new markets, enter new audiences, bring new people, create new products. Um, but I think winning is for me and for Barstool and for anyone who works at this company is like really being honorable to what we have created and taking it to a place that it has not been before. So as part of being a manager, you have Mm -hmm. to hire people and put together a team. Mm -hmm. You famously did an interview where you talked about your interview practices. Oh, sure. And the New York uh, Times interview. Yes. Yes. Always comes up. Which we loved reading. Yeah, I'm sure. It was a great article. (laughs) Uh, But you talked about you text candidates on the weekends Mm -hmm. as part of kind of putting them through a process. Mm -hmm. I want to know I want to hear about your kind of thinking behind that. Mm -hmm. Um, I will tell you, like, we put any candidate, any person that we hire at the scam, we give them a homework assignment. Mm -hmm. We have, I'm sure it's very similar reasons why, which is you want to see how people respond to a challenge. Do you really want to work here? Yes. At the same time, like, I can tell you people, just like in our personal lives, when they're, you know, interviewing for um, for jobs Mm -hmm. and a potential employer is giving them a homework assignment or would text them on the weekend. Yeah, that's like, a red that sucks. That's yeah. a red flag for them. Yeah. So what would you say to a friend of yours that is applying for a job that they're excited about and the CEO of that company is texting them at odd hours on the weekends? What yeah. advice would you give So them? to put full context for that quote. So what I was describing was when I was at AOL, when I was CMO of AOL, and there are thousands of people in the, the marketing organization Nobody texted anyone on the weekends. It was a corporate job, right? And you could clock in at 8.30 or 9 o'clock in the morning and you clock out at 5. And that was cool. When I got to Barstool or when I worked at Backstage, Backstage is music. So music is at nights and on weekends. And you, you know, I needed people who could roll on nights and weekends. Those are typically young people, which I, I, I love working with young people. I think that, that it's just exhilarating. At Barstool, there was a, a couple things about Barstool. One is shit goes down at any given time on any given day. So being attuned to what is happening, not obsessed, not in a way that sacrifices your, your life, but being attuned to this is a 24-7 company that lives on the internet and things blow up all the time. Something major happens in sports. Game of Thrones, you know, Game of Thrones Sunday night, we're all over Game of Thrones. It's a Sunday night. Like I'd like to be in bed watching Game of Thrones, but I'm watching Twitter, you know. So so the, so you know, what I would say to answer your question, which is one, I think it's good in interviewing for a new job that the job should scare you and that it should push you into a place that you have not gone. I think if you're looking for the same but different, it's ultimately not going to be rewarding and it's not gonna move you forward. So I, I be, any person who asks career advice and for myself, like those are th- big things that I think about. In terms of, you know, it, it wasn't texting people on the weekends, it was just responsiveness to text as a means of communication. Our company, really converses over text. Mm-hmm. We have we a C-skimmers text chain yeah. for all of our executive. And yeah. it's actually it how day. we communicate it's the most. It's amazing. It's so fast. It's clear. It like cuts out all the like blah, blah, blah. Like nobody cares. Like what needs to happen? Who's making the decision? What's happening next? So w- we don't have an email culture. We don't have a conference call culture. We have a text culture. 
And Barstool always had a text culture because they all lived in different cities Mm -hmm. and you texted one another. So, you know, for me is, hey, can you succeed in this environment? Now, if you're a finance person, I'm not texting you. Mm -hmm. You're not texting me. We're the text isn't how you're you're running your business on a spreadsheet and right. email and in like very secure files. Right. If you're a creative person, you are. If you're in production, you are. So I, I think it's important to show if you're interviewing for a job that you want to be at that company. And whether it's doing the homework assignment or thinking about what you would do with Barstool Sports or responding to your manager over text, that's important. I also think if that makes you feel like Ugh, it's it's an imposition, that job is never going to work for you. And that's okay. We want to get to our favorite Oh, part okay. of the show. So lightning round. Oh, I love the lightning round. Great. Okay. Bring okay. It on. I was going <laughs> to explain yeah, yeah. it. I'm like just all saying, in yeah. on the lightning Self-explanatory. round. Self-explanatory. Yep. Okay. What did you think you were going to be when you grew up? I wanted to work for Benetton. <sighs> okay, wait. What? Why? <laughs> <laughs> because when I was in my teens, Benetton, you guys are too young for no, this, but Benetton used to make the huge magazine catalog and they had beautiful photography <laughs> of black women and white women and the hair was amazing and the colors were were it just the colors were amazing. I had my room plastered in Benetton ads and Absolute Vodka ads. I was gonna say I had, I had vodka. I, had yeah, vodka. I loved the Absolute Vodka. <laughs> I wanted to work really for Absolute Vodka yes. or Benetton. College major. Uh, sociology. First job. I was like a bus boy or like a bus girl in a restaurant, which was a terrible job. Well, worst job. That one. Worst professional mistake you've made. Hiring people because other people think I should. First phone call when you get good news. It's a text. Um, (laughs) I would text my family, Uh, my girlfriends. First phone call or or text when you get bad news. I tend to sit on bad news for a long time. So same people, but I tend to sit with it. When's the last time you negotiated for yourself? Horribly and not. um, Probably when I came to Barstool. What is, I think that's the hardest thing. Yeah, same. What is the go-to interview question when you are looking to hire somebody? Like, why do you want to work here? How do people know when you're stressed? I think I can get cranky and... Um, Your team's like not. What does that look like? <laughs> I can be short. I can be short. Like I, if, I have, if I'm really chewing on something or focused on something, I can be short. What drives you? I'm just really curious. Like I love people and the idea of building something and figuring out problems. Uh, like I was with my girlfriends yesterday. This is not a short answer, which is probably violating lightning <laughs> round. Fine. But I was with my girlfriends yesterday and I was describing, I don't know, we were talking about things and I was like, honestly, if someone comes to me with a problem, it could be like a personal problem. It could be a work problem. Doesn't I, I like all I want to do is fix it. And sometimes that's annoying because people don't necessarily want their problems fixed. So I just like to fix things and build things and then they break and then you fix new things. (laughs) A few minutes ago, you said that um, when you take a job or anyone takes a job, you should be a little bit scared by it. Mm -hmm. So what still scares you? I mean, the future. Like, um, you know, where does Barstool go? That scares me. Not scares me, but I, I don't know the answer. And it could go places where I need to teach myself to go. What's your shameless plug? Oh, I have a lot of shameless. I mean, go to Barstool Sports and don't think we suck. Right? <laughs> that would be my shameless plug. That's a great That's a good one. one. Good place to end. Erica, thank you thank so you much. Thank you very much. much. 
Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot com. Two M's for a little something extra. 